When I was younger, when I was uh, much younger, when I was a little girl, actually, um, I spent a lot of time with my nana. Uh, Both my parents worked, uh, at times five jobs between them because they had both grown up in um, families where finance was poor and so they had decided that they would never live that way and that they would make a way for our family that was different to what they had had. And the bonus for me was that every school holidays I spent with my nana. And my nana had probably in my life, if I look back, the largest influence on me of anyone in my life apart from Jesus. My nana was everything that I wanted to be. She was quite elderly. Um, She wasn't an extrovert particularly. She was this little tiny, she was shorter than me, long grey hair would plait and put in a bun, cute grandma type person. Um, She'd had a very tragic life as a young woman, her mother, as a young child, her mother had, uh, had died, father couldn't cope with the kids, they were farmed out to relatives, her life was difficult, she married a man who I never met, my grandfather had died um, before I was born, who was a hard, gambling man and, and she was left with, you know, very little, uh, she lived in a cute little house and I would spend time with her. Um, I've I've talked about previously, we would, you know, she had to entertain this very extroverted, I've always been this way, rambunctious young girl on her own. And and so she would, we'd do things, we'd feed, she had chickens, we'd feed the chickens, we'd work in the veggie garden and pull the carrots and eat the carrots. She'd send me on errands to to the store down the road on the pretense of getting one or two things that she needed, but always giving me enough money to buy a little bag of lollies on the way back. Uh, We would lie on the bed and have a sleep. Well, she would. I'm not sure I ever did. In the afternoons, and she would read stories to me. But the, the thing that I remember the most about my grandma is her kitchen. Her kitchen, she had one of those old fashioned kitchens with an old wood stove and, um, the kettle was always on it and the, the bucket for the chook scraps was always on. I don't know why you had to have that warm, but anyway, that was on it too. Made some interesting smells in the kitchen. Uh, with the kitchen table in the middle of the room and the chairs around it. And at, I, I can't remember how many points during the day, but many points during the day she would get out. This is actually, this is actually her tablecloth. She would get out the tablecloth. <clears throat> we did, Jaden and I tried to steam it. Poor grandma would be horrified. But anyway, she would get out the tablecloth and she would, she would put it on the table, you know, and she would, she would get out a couple of, um, these are also hers. These are a bit cute. Mismatched cups and saucers. So she'd get these out. She'd put them out like this. And, and I knew what was going to happen. And then she would get this teapot. It's cute, isn't it? The little blue teapot. The little blue teapot of my childhood. She'll get this teapot and it's, you know, it's battered. It's not the best china, really. It's actually tin. And she would get this and she would fill it, fill it full of tea leaves, bushels always, because I don't know that there are any other options for tea back then. Um, tea leaves always, never tea bags. It's got a little strainer thing inside that you can put in. And she would fill it from the kettle that was always boiling on the stove. And and we would have tea. I should have filled it up. I could have had tea. And we would have tea. And we would sit, not beside each other, but opposite each other at the table. 
So we would sit. Here we go. Oh, you get to sit. I'm going to sit today. We'd sit at the table. And there we'd, we'd talk about, I don't know, whatever seven or eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds would talk about. I know that. I was a very curious child, so I would ask her questions about probably anything. She always had an answer. She always took the time. She was extremely patient. I never, ever heard her utter a crossword. I never, ever saw her angry. I never, ever heard her complain, although she had plenty of reason to. When we sat at that table, it was always and only about me. It was always and only about me. She would ask me questions and we would, we would chat and we would laugh and I don't know if she answered the questions correctly. I have no idea. I just know in that moment... There was this connection between Nana and I that I've never forgotten. I just know in that moment, so much of who she was became who I was. The kindness, I can remember sitting there and thinking, I want to be this. Now, she wasn't famous. She wasn't particularly hilarious. She didn't really have, she wasn't stylish or cool. Um, She didn't have a profound worldview. She was a believer in Jesus, but... There was just something about her that made me think, when I grow up, I want to be Nana. I want to be kind. I don't want to complain. I I want to laugh. I want to see the bright side. And, you know, when I look at my life now and I look back, I think so much of who I am, apart from who I am in Jesus, is who my Nana was. She had an immense impact on my life. And as I got older, to my shame, and I apologise to any nanas here that this is your experience, I visited less often, you know, because life gets busy. I had a car, I had friends, and, and so my visits became less frequent. Um, she would ring our house every day, and as she got older and lost her mind a bit, she would ring our house many times every day, forgetting that she'd rung before. Um, but every time I took the time to go to Nana's house... Out would come the tablecloth, out would come the teapot, and we would have tea. That's what we did. I was 26 when she passed away. She was 94. 94. And when she was 94 and she passed away, the teapot became mine. It's my teapot now. The teacups became mine and the tablecloth became mine. And, And over the years, when our children were small... You know, as a, as a mum, you sit with your kids and you have tea. Well, it's kind of tea. It's kind of this much tea, this much milk and about half a dozen sugars so that they can actually drink it. And so I would have tea with my kids with the teapot. We'd have to refill it a lot because it only is really for two. And even now, every time I get out this teapot, I remember my nana. Every time when I got it out today, it sits on the top shelf in our cupboard now. And, and every time I get it out, I remember my nana. I remember not what she looked like, although I can remember what she looked like. You know, I don't have a photo of her, I don't think. But I remember her kindness. I remember the kitchen table where we sat. I remember the investment she made in my life. And I never got the opportunity to tell her how profound that, opportunity, that, that investment in my life was. 
I know that she would be very proud of me, regardless of what I turned out like. And, and I didn't realise how powerful those memories would be. Even when I got it out this morning, I, it took me straight back to her kitchen. It took me straight back to, to the kettle, the whistling kettle. We actually just bought a whistling kettle, and every time it whistles, it makes me think of Nana. Um, it took me right back there. And I didn't realise how much comfort there would be in this simple teapot, this simple remembrance, how much joy it would bring me when I felt lonely. I can get this out when I'm on my own. I don't have to have someone there. And immediately I feel that kindness, that acceptance, that love. And it, and it just it changed my life. And, and today is Communion Sunday in the, in the house. And I guess when we look at Luke 22, we find Jesus and his apostles, they gather around a table. It was bigger than this. Grandma's table was bigger than this, but I didn't want to have the boys bring up something huge. So use your imagination. We find Jesus and his apostles gathered around a table eating Passover together. And in Luke 22, 14 to 15... It says, when the hour came, Jesus and, his apostles, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then it goes on in verse 17 to 20. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, he said this, he take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And when we think about communion, when we think about that last supper, I think we think about images like this. This is what we think of, right? Um, But we see images like this because Michelangelo painted the Last Supper and so when we think about them all gathered, we we think about them posed for a photo, for a a painting. And, you know, I, I don't think that... I think that's a beautiful painting, but I think this next photo probably more aptly shows us what it was like. You know, they weren't sitting beside each other posing for a photo beside Jesus... They were gathered around a table like friends. They were gathered around a table like family. It says Jesus and the the apostles reclined at the table. First photo, I don't see anybody reclining. But it it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of, of family. It speaks of relationship gathered around the table. He was at ease. He was comfortable amongst those he loved and trusted. And we need to be careful when we look at, I guess, this story or this account in Scripture as we need to be careful when we look at any account in Scripture because we know the end of the story. We know what was about to happen. Jesus knew what was about to happen, but if we step back into that moment, they were gathered around as a group of friends, as a group of really family. They'd done a lot of life together. They were close. They were comfortable. And they didn't know what was about to happen to them. This was just a celebration of Passover. This was just a moment 
for them, of which they thought they would have many more. But Jesus was aware of what was about to transpire, that he was about to give his life not only for these men that were gathered around the table, but for each and every one of us until the end of time. He knew that. But he chooses to establish this memory and so it is significant. It's significant that he would do that. And I I love that he doesn't do it in the form of a lecture. He could have. He could have gathered the multitudes and spoke what was going to happen and felt the the awe of the crowd as he talked about what he was about to do. He could have done that. He, He gathered multitudes beforehand, but he didn't. He chose to sit over dinner with those close to him and look into their eyes across the table and say, remember me, remember me. It it would have seemed ridiculous. Of course they're going to remember him. They'd done life with him. They'd seen him do amazing things. They believed he was the saviour of the planet. Why would he say, remember me? And I love that they sat at a table. I love that. I love that it's something that is common to all homes, a table. For families, it's a place where we sit and eat dinner. We invite friends. We sit at the table and we share. When our children were were smaller, the table was the place that we gathered nightly. And I think one of the things that I lament most is our children leaving the house is that We don't gather nightly. Chris and I try to sit at the table most nights of the week. But it was where we laughed. We gathered, we laughed. We talked about the day. We we talked about disappointments. We talked about victories. We talked about that kid that was mean to this kid at school. We talked about homework. We discussed things, we shared things, we prayed before our meal, we set an example of of family. And I love that at this table, Jesus sits. And this wouldn't have been the only discussion. It says after dinner. So you've got to assume that before dinner, they laughed and they talked and they probably joked and pushed each other around and shared their thoughts and maybe asked questions. And they're unaware of this. They're unaware of what's going to happen. But he's giving them a simple and profound way to remember him, even though, even the same way my nana did unknowingly with the teapot. She gave me a simple and profound way to remember her, a very simple symbol of, of, of what we had together. So he gives them this example, not only of the bread and wine, but of the gathering together gathering together. They're gathered together to remember him. Now we call it communion. And you know, we, we all know what communion is, but I thought I would look it up in the dictionary because you know I like the dictionary. And, and surprisingly, the first definition for communion in the Bible is, in the, in the dictionary is, a close relationship with someone in which feelings and thoughts are exchanged. A close relationship. So what we see before Jesus even institutes the bread and the wine is actually a close relationship with his friends, with the men in his life, with the apostles, in which feelings 
and thoughts are exchanged. You know, sometimes we can make communion like a, like a sacrament, like a religious experience. And I think sometimes when we do that, we lose the point. The point is, we do it to remember him. We do it to remember our experience with him, how our lives have changed, how we've interacted with him. We do it together as a family where we think about what Jesus has done. And so he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he gave it to them telling him that it represented his body given for them that they should remember it. Now he hadn't given it yet. So this is all future. But he's asking them to break bread and remember him even though he's right there. Same with the wine. It represents a new covenant. His, His blood poured out to us. He's saying that Life is going to be different when we go through this situation. You are going to be different when you experience. Even though I'm gone, you are going to be different. It's going to be different, the relationship between you and I. Remembrance. Remember me. Remember me. So what he's saying is remember me. He knows what's going to happen. They don't. Remember me no matter what you see. No matter what you see, remember me. Remember me no matter what you feel. And I'm giving you the tools, the symbols to do that. So simple. Things that you can find. Bread and wine. So wherever you are, bread and wine, wherever you are, you can take these things. You can come back to this moment and you can remember me. When life doesn't go the way you think it should. Who's ever had that experience? Be a person in this room that hasn't. When you don't see the outcome quite the way you were believing for, looks a little different, remember me. When the hurt comes, when people disappoint you, when people you're depending on don't show up for you, remember me. Remember me, the one who will never leave you or forsake you. The one that walks beside you. The one that's gone to prepare a place for you. The one that you intersected with that changed the way that you saw your life. The apostles think he's going to overthrow the government and the whole world is going to change. They have no idea that he's going to be taken and beaten mercilessly. And crucified on a cross. In that moment, they must have felt like all hope was lost. Have you ever felt like that? All hope is lost. The way I saw this working out, it's not working out that way anymore. I, I can't see the other side. They couldn't see the other side. They didn't know or believe or understand that he was going to revolutionise the world by rising again in three days. They didn't know that hope was coming. They didn't know that life was coming. They didn't know that he was going to overthrow death and the grave in those three days. It looked dark and hopeless. And he says, remember me. This is what, remember me. Bread, wine, come together. Talk about me. 
Talk about the experiences you've shared. Talk about how you're feeling. Talk about your disappointments. Lay them down and remember that I am greater than that. Remember what you've seen. Just imagine what those men had seen. You know, we, we see a lot in church life where God intervenes. These men had seen dead people rise. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you've heard. Remember the way that, that Jesus spoke to people. Remember what you've experienced in your own life. Remember forgiveness. Remember kindness. Remember in a way that's not distant but close. When I get out my teapot, even though my nana has been gone now for over 30 years, when I get out my teapot, she's not distant, she's close. Not physically, but who she was is close, kind, patient, encouraging, listening. It's close. In Jesus we find forgiveness. I love that. When I, when I talked yesterday to my husband about what I wanted to share today, I said, if, I, if you could only give me one word about communion, what would it be? And he said, forgiveness. My experience, when I take communion, I remember that forgiveness. Because at the cross, he took it all on himself. Not just what had been, but what was to come. All our shame, all our mistakes. Not to the point where we met him. Because remember that song, I was found before I was lost. He knew you before you found him. He knew you. He knew the life that you would lead. He knew the mistakes that you would make. And so he he gives this sacrifice, this forgiveness, that's like a blank check. I know you're going to miss it. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know that's going to make you feel bad. I know you'll feel ashamed. I know you won't feel like you measured up. But I've already done it. So it's okay. Just come back. Remember me. Remember me. That's why this moment's important. That's why when we gather around communion, it's important that we remember that there's nothing that we can do. There's no experience. There's no shame. There's nothing that can separate us from his love. He's already forgiven us. And remember who was at that table. The apostles and Judas. Now we love to hate Judas, but we've all been Judas at some point in our life. Come on. Judas, right before that moment, had agreed with the Pharisees to accept a bag of silver to betray Jesus. And Jesus calls him out. I love Jesus. I love the elephant in the room. You know when you've got an elephant in the room, no one wants to talk about it. Jesus calls him out. doesn't say who he is. covers him. But there is someone at this table. There's someone at this table who is about to betray me, who is about to give me up. So he's sitting at a table and talk about an exercise in forgiveness in advance. Talk about a blank check. Much bigger than the bag of silver. Someone at this table is going to betray me. I mean, he could have called him out. He could have said, this guy, this guy just accepted a bag of silver for my life. The other apostles probably would have beaten him to death. Been justice, right? No. Remember me. Remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed, not just for the good people, but for Judas as well. 
for Judas as well. I love that. Forgiveness is is so important to him that he practices it in advance. Can't we learn from that? Wow. Can't we learn from that? Because people will hurt you, disappoint you. People are people. But we can actually practice forgiveness. I'm not going to let this stick to me. I'm not going to let this affect the way that I live my life. I'm not going to let this pin me to this point where I'm disappointed. I'm actually going to practice forgiveness in advance. It's all good. Someone here needs to hear that this morning. Someone in this place this morning, someone's hurt you, disappointed you in some way and, and you're stuck right there. We're going to take communion at the end of the service, but I just want to encourage you. You know, you're allowing yourself to be stuck there. Jesus gave us a great example when he gathered around the table with these men. Practice forgiveness in advance. He wasn't going to allow that thing to limit him. He wasn't going to allow that thing to, to stop him from working out the life that he had to. He wasn't going to allow that thing to give him a pure heart as he went towards what he knew was his destiny. I love that song that, um, I, I love that, it, that forgiveness is, it, it's just, it's powerful, you know, it's powerful. I love that as we remember him and we remember what he did, that in those moments it's, it gives us the ability to lift our head. It gives us the ability to overcome shame and disappointment. That's why we do it. That's why we remember him. You know that song that the, the team brought just before we before I came up? It's called Clean. I love it. I love it. I think it's such a beautiful and profound song. I love that line in it where it says, His covenant is making me whole. What he did for me on the cross is making me whole. It didn't make me whole when I met him. It was the beginning of the work. Because I still make mistakes. I still get a bit of heart sometimes. I still get angry sometimes. I still do things that are less than pleasing, have attitudes that are less than great. But I understand that when I come back to this point and I sit down at the table and I have communion, I'm reminded that his covenant is making me whole. I choose wholeness. It enables me to rise and lift my head. You know, sometimes we can come to this moment where we share communion and we can feel guilty or ashamed. We can feel like, man, like me with Nana. Haven't been for a while. <laughs> and it's communion. Haven't been as often as I should. Haven't really been talking to Jesus much. We come a bit like that. And we come like this. You know, it's a bit like, sorry, God. I hope it's okay. That's not how he wants us to come. Communion builds a platform for us to come, to rise and lift our heads. We come confident. Not in who we are, but in who he is. We come confident. I never went to Nana's place going, I'm such a worm. Make so many mistakes. Went to Nana's house. She'd meet me at the door with her arms out. Well, arms out. She's only little. She'd give me a big hug. She'd say, I'm so glad to see you. Let's have tea. Kettle's on. And it didn't matter what my week had been like, what my month had been like, however long I'd be, till I'd seen her, 
In that moment, I was confident that she loved me, that she would always champion me. And I think that's the attitude that we come to the table with today. We don't come guilty or undeserving. It's not the moment to examine your belly button fluff about what you've done wrong in the past, however long since last time communion was, or contemplate how you don't measure up. It's a moment to see and remember what Jesus has done in your life. It's a moment to remind us to rise, that he's done it all, that you can't do anything to separate you from his love, and that we're being transformed daily. That's why the Bible says his mercies are new every morning, because he knew we'd need it. It would be terrible if his mercies were on you every month. That would be awful. His mercies are new every morning because he knew that we would need that. And it's because of that we start on the front foot every day. Knowing that we're loved, we're accepted, we're forgiven. That is championing us. We don't struggle to feel worthy or good enough in any situation. Otherwise, what he did was for nothing. He's positioned you as the head, not the tail. As more than enough, as a conqueror, he's lifted your head. And he wants us to remember that we are free. That's why he did it. He did it so that we would be free. So when you choose to forgive, instead of seeing the world through bitter eyes, when you make that choice and the choice is yours, you're free. That's what freedom is. When you learn from your mistakes instead of letting them define you or cripple you, you're free. When you love yourself regardless of what other people think, when you're comfortable in your own skin, when you understand God made you unique and he's working on you and every day his mercies are new, then you're free. You're free. When you... Accept uncertainty. Who likes uncertainty? I don't like uncertainty. Instead of stressing, I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if I can make it. When you can simply trust him, then you're free. You're free. When you embrace the chaos that is sometimes life, right? Life is sometimes chaos. Instead of struggling to control it and confine it, when you can let it go and just trust God, then you're free. You're free. When you recognise that every person in this room is imperfect, no matter how good they look today, and you resist the urge to fight that, then you're free, right? When you choose to appreciate what you have right now in this moment and do what you can to make the most of it when you're grateful for where you are right now, if God didn't do another thing in my life, I'm okay with that, then you're free. You're free. And the word says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. Free Indeed. So when I sit and have a cup of tea from this little teapot, what I've lost in the moments with my nana are restored as I remember her. 
The things that she's instilled in me are brought back. The kindness, the love. And today I want us to share communion. The, the team's going to come and the, the host team are going to come and they're going to start to distribute the elements. And I wonder if when you get your little piece of cracker and your little cup of juice, whether you would stand with me. And we're going to be determined this morning to remember him. Not to remember us and our failures. Not to remember how we didn't measure up. But we're going to be determined to remember him. His love. His grace. His forgiveness. His kindness. We're going to hear his voice cheering us on, saying, you've got this, you've got this, I'm with you. You can't see the other side, but I can. Keep going, one more step. Just keep going, don't give up now. We're going to come and we're going to remember him. We're going to be determined to be restored to what he's instilled in us, purpose and value. He thinks you're valuable. He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're unique. He's got a purpose and destiny for every person in this room and it's unpacking as we sit here this morning. So as the, as the team distribute those elements, when you get them, if you could stand, that would be awesome. I've asked the team to come and bring that beautiful song again. And when they're finished, we're going to just hang on to the little things. We're going to pray together. We're going to take the elements and we're going to experience his love this morning. Thanks, team. I'm just going to pray as we as we take this together, gathered around a table, gathered together as as friends and followers of Jesus, gathered together as the family of New Hope Church today. And as we take it this morning, we remember we remember His body that was broken for us. I want to encourage you this morning, if you are unwell in this place, if you need healing in this place, it might be physical, it might be emotional, if you need restoration in this place, maybe to a family member or or, or just to your purpose. The Bible says that by His stripes we were healed. By His stripes we were healed. As we take communion this morning, we're taking into ourselves a symbol of that. His his body that was broken. We're going to remember that. We're going to remember that in our circumstance, in our situation. He's still at work. He's still at work. That breaking of His body for us, the stripes that healed us. Still at work. Still at work. As we take the cup, we're going to remember that it's not about us working to get His love. It's not about us sacrificing to get His love. We've got it. He sees you exactly as you are. He loves you exactly as you are. There's not a thing that you can do that will separate you from the love that He has for you in this covenant He poured out His blood for. It makes us clean. It makes us worthy. It makes us able to rise and lift our head and face another day. So Lord Jesus, I thank you. As we take these emblems this morning, these symbols, we remember you. We remember you in our lives. Lord, I ask that people would be healed this morning as they remember that promise in their life, that truth in their life. I pray that people would leave here this morning with their their heads raised and their eyes upwards, rising and lifting their voice 
in a, in a joyous celebration of, of who you are and what you've done. And so we take these emblems and we thank you this morning. We remember you. We do it in remembrance. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a church goer, a Christian, you wouldn't identify as having a relationship with Jesus, can I just say to you, you were found. God knew you way before you came into this place. He created you with a purpose and a destiny far beyond what you can imagine. Created you to live in relationship with Him. Created you to be able to rise and lift your head in the mornings. Created you to know truth. He created you that you would know forgiveness, that you would walk free. And so very simply this morning, as we do every, every service we have in this house, I'm just going to give an opportunity. So I wonder if we could close our eyes, bow our heads, church. And if you're here today and you'd like to know Jesus in that way, you'd like to know that forgiveness, you'd like to know that purpose, you just feel like that's the thing that's missing from your life. I wonder if you would ever so quickly, while well, no one's looking around except me, raise your hand and I'm just going to acknowledge it and we're going to pray together. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to pull you out the front. Just, It's just a simple acknowledgement. Yep, I need that. Put my hand up this morning and say, yep, I need that. That's me. I need it. I need to know forgiveness. I need to walk free. I need to, need to have purpose and destiny. Fantastic. Lord, I just thank you this morning for every heart, every person gathered here. Lord, that we would walk free as we remember you, as we remember your sacrifice for us that we would walk out of here knowing you, feeling that love, feeling that purpose, feeling that mercy. And church, we're going to pray this prayer together this morning and I think it's appropriate today to reaffirm our, our belief, our faith in Jesus. So let's pray it together. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I will follow you. Amen. Hey, go out this week. Remember. Remember him. Remember what He's done for you. Remember how He's cheering you on. Hear that voice. Remember, walk through it. Remember. I'm going to hand over to Sarah.